Good evening, everyone. Welcome. Welcome to the War Memorial Opera House in San Francisco this evening, which is Thursday, March 21st, 2013. I'm Mary Wood for the San Francisco Ballet Center for Dance Education. I'm delighted to welcome you to this Meet the Artist interview and also to welcome you to opening night of our return engagement of John Cranko's Onegin. And I'm sure that you're among those who are featured in the advertising, which says, back by popular demand. Um, this evening, it's going to be a great privilege for me to be in conversation with Jane Bourne, who is a choreologist and represents the Cranko Ballets. And for those of you who don't know what a choreologist is, she's going to tell us. And furthermore, one of the questions, for those of you who are regulars, you know that one of the questions that we regularly field is the question, how do dancers learn the ballets? How are the ballets transmitted through generations or from uh, ballet master to dancers in a return engagement, and it's really somewhat of a mystery. And we will untangle that mystery <laughs> when we learn about what is a choreologist. So Jane, welcome and thank you so much for being here with us. Good evening, thank you. Um, so thank dive you. in. <laughs> um, a choreologist is a person like a, sort of like a secretary to a choreographer. And uh, she, he or she uh, literally writes down every move that he makes, every, every move that he creates. She writes it down in a kind of notation that's rather like music notation. It's written on a musical stave um, and it's written in bars, so it, 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 it corresponds to the actual musical bar. And, um, and it's then recorded for posterity. That's how it, how it works. It's a series of dots and dashes and symbols which actually mean movements and positions of the body, rather like uh, the dots and dashes that you see in a musical score mean sounds, lengths of sounds and rhythms and so on and so forth. It's exactly the same principle. That's how it works. And from that, the idea is that you can read what, what's been recorded and, and pass it on to the next person. She makes it sound fairly simple. Um, <laughs> it's not. <laughs> um, I happen to know that there are a couple of notation systems yes. that exist currently. The most prominent, I'm sure there are dozens of less well-known ones. And I've heard some of our ballet masters say they just invent their own. Yes, they do. But yes. this one is really, um, the one this, that you used is... I, I use Benish movement notation. Right. I learned Benish. Mm -hmm. And it is uh, extremely visual, and it is um, the most widely used in ballet companies today because it's quite, uh, it goes into quite some detail, but not too much. You can, it's, it's practical to use, it's easy to use. I think the other main one is Laban notation, about which I know nothing, mm -hmm. except that it seems to take a whole page to write a glissade. That's all I know. <laughs> it, just, it just needs so much paper, and I, I don't know how they read it quickly, but they do. Well, it's all in the training, I'm sure. Yeah, I yeah. actually learned Laban notation, so I, well, <laughs> baby, baby steps. And yeah. um, it's um, one of its distinguishing characteristics is that you read it vertically. 
yes. not horizontally. Yeah. Um, well, well. Yes, Ben, as you read yeah. like across, exactly mm -hmm. like music. Mm -hmm. um, there are the, just for an example, the cast of Onegin is huge. Every one of those dancers can be read. Every, every movement that every one of those dancers is doing can be read from a Benish score, is that? Yes. Wow. Yes, absolutely. You don't have to have a score for every, every dancer, a, a stave for every mm -hmm, dancer, mm -hmm. just for every, everyone that's doing something different. If all the corps de ballet are doing the same thing, then you, then you put it all on one stave and say it's 10 girls or eight girls or 10 boys, whatever. How much and this is going to lead into a question about how you got into this in the first place, how much is left up to the interpretation of the choreologist? In other words, can someone else pick up this score and then readily interpret it? No. They could read it. Mm -hmm. They could read the steps. They could read the mm -hmm. choreography. Mm -hmm. But the interpretation is something else. And the same as in music, you can't write that down. Okay. You only can use words to describe, you know, like Andante and Largo and all that same. It's the same thing with, with movement uh -huh. notation. It's a, it's a two-dimensional um, specific. It's, it, 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 you either go on the right foot or the left, you know, you either mm -hmm. do this step or not kind of thing. All that's written down and anyone could read it. Anyone who knows the notation mm -hmm. could mm -hmm. read it, but that doesn't mean they could put the ballet on. Uh -huh. This is a lot more to the ballet than so let's talk about the choreography. How you get just to be the actual steps, I mean. Yeah. How how did you fall into this as a career? And um, just go back to the beginning and then talk a little bit about your relationship to the Cranko ballets. Well, I was a ballet student. I was uh, dead keen, but not very good. And um, so I, I was. <laughs> They find that funny. <laughs> Refreshing. And, <laughs> and um, so I was looking for something else I could do in the ballet world. And I saw the advertisement in the Dancing Times for the, the Institute of Choreology. I had no idea what it was. I had no idea. So I sent for the brochure and thought, oh, I'll give that a go. So I did. That's exactly how I got into it. And of course, they needed, they needed students, they needed the fees to keep operating. I got a grant from the local authority, and I went and did a three-year course. A three-year course. three-year course. And so this is um, a schoolroom somewhere? Yeah. Or are you related in any way to um, a group of dancers, people who move? Did, how, did you have lab work? No. No, not at all. Amazing. <laughs> Just wanted to do it. Just liked it. Mm -hmm. It rocks my world still today. <laughs> so how does one get hired? Do you, do you, you know, just oh, that's put a notice that, out? That's a whole other story. I was very lucky. I finished the course in, in, in London, and sadly, at about that exact same time, Mr. Cranko passed away on a plane coming back from America. And his choreologist um, came to London to set one of his ballets in the Sadler's Wells as a sort of tribute. And she came to the Institute and asked, is there someone can come and help me? Because I have to finish writing John's ballets down before, you know, as, as quickly as possible now. And I was available. I just finished and uh, I was available and I, I went to Stuttgart. I mean, talk about luck. Falling on your feet it was just 
heaven, really. And I stayed there six years, and I wrote down all, all, the, all the Cranko ballets. I helped finish writing those scores. And I worked on a lot of other ballets as well, from um, Kenneth Macmillan and a lot of new choreographers. Marcia was trying to find someone, you know, to take over, and a lot of new choreography I wrote down as well, stuff that was really absolute rubbish. Got three shows, and then in the bin it went. And, but anyway, it's all good experience, isn't it? And then I left, because my husband was in England. I was married already, and uh, I left, and um, I thought that was the end of it, but then they started asking me, Reed. Reed was the first one, Reed Anderson, who asked me, will you come and help me? I'm going to do Onyegin in Canada, and I need somebody to help me with the core. So I went with him, and it was the start of a beautiful friendship. Well, let's um, back up just two steps. Um, Reed Anderson, who was at the time the director of the National Ballet of Canada, and who is currently the director of Stuttgart Ballet. So um, this was a relationship that was forged in Canada because they were doing, was it Onyegin? Onyegin, yeah. Um, and then now 1984. That, right, right. And then you've um, obviously been sent out um, around the world. Mm -hmm. How many times have you staged Onyegin? I don't know. But this is the ninth one in a row, actually. This Amazing. is the ninth one in a row. I haven't done anything since November 11, except Onyegin. Oh, man. <laughs> what other ballets do you do? Before we come back to just talking about Onyegin. Taming of the Shrew and Romeo are the most important ones, the ones that most people want full-length ballets, because they're obviously very beautiful, and um, I think young choreographers today have trouble with them. I don't think not many young choreographers make full-length ballets, story ballets. Mm -hmm. Public always loves a story. Mm -hmm. mm. And Kranka was a great storyteller. Storyteller, absolutely. He really was. So um, tell us a little bit about, now you've talked about um, reading the score. How do you actually teach the dancers then? Um, do you have assistants? Do you have staff? Do you enlist ballet masters in the companies? Um, I'm just fascinated by that first touch with a company and, and your, your fistful of score. I suppose first touch, it's just me. I have to explain everything. But then the staff are, are always also learning. Some of them already know. Or, or, and always a great help. Always. Here they've been wonderful, I have to say. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Whole team of, of great artists to work with. Yeah. Very good. So they help. And uh, once I've set it, they coach and teach. Uh, um, help with, other, you know, because there's always always at least three casts, if not four. Um, here we've got four. So, you know, they're all yeah. so we're all simultaneously working to, at the same uh -huh. time and moving around the studios. And, yeah. For those of you who came in after we started, um, I'm in conversation with Jane Bourne, who is a choreologist, and we've defined choreologist and choreology, the art of notating and transmitting choreography, um, and who has staged Onyegin for uh, nine different companies that we can think of. <laughs> it's um, about 30 or 40, oh, okay. I would think, uh -huh. over. And, and in a lot of places, I've been twice as well. This, uh -huh. is, this is the second time coming sure. here, obviously. 
Unfortunately, Reed couldn't come this time. Mm -hmm. I, um, now I want to talk about the relationship between the score and your work and the really time-honored method of transmitting dance, which is from teacher to pupil, from dancer to dancer, the very kinesthetic um, way that we, we often say this is one of the only arts that is transmitted from dancer to dancer, from performer to performer um, solely, but then we have the aid of this score. How much do you depend on the, the spirit of the dancer, of the, the one person who knows it who can transmit it? You said that it can't be just the score. So say a little more about that. It's, it's the interpreting the score that I, that I have learned over the 30 years working with Reed, how to transmit more than just the steps to the dancers. Um, other than that, I, I, I don't really know. I'm thinking there are dancers in our, oh, I'm sorry, I'm interrupting you. No, it's just that, the, the beauty of a Cranko ballet is that it's, it's, uh, it tells a story so well. Um, without balletic mime that you usually get in classical pieces. Um, but I think that the reason why it lives, it was first created in 1965. So it's almost, it's 50 years old, isn't it? Something like, Something like that. Almost, and, um, and yet it doesn't look dated. And that's because I believe that you, you teach them the steps, you explain to them what's happening what, and what they're feeling and why, but actually how they do it is, it comes from them. It comes from within them, the good ones. It comes from them and um, that's why it's uh, never boring it's never boring for me because it's like it's different every every time I do it because it, it's always new, it's always fresh. So that that is a kind of collaboration as opposed to somebody saying, you do it like this. It, that never really happens. And, and you let them play with it and then sometimes you say, no, that's not good or that's too much or I didn't get the feeling that you wanted to say this. Or, we work it out as well. That's why I, I think it look, still looks, uh, what, not modern, but you know, with the time, with time. I'm thinking about the fact that you keep alluding to Reed Anderson. Reed Anderson performed the piece, <coughs> um, performed it in the company directed by John Cranko, is that correct? Yes. So there's a direct link there to the yes. choreographer in person. Yes. And then Reed um, has coached. I know when we did it a year ago, Reed was here. Mm -hmm. So Reed came into the studio with you. Mm -hmm. And he joined with you in, in bringing, eliciting from the dancers something. Mm -hmm. I know that some of our dancers have actually performed it in other companies. Um, I believe Vitor performed it in Rio. Rio, exactly, did, yes. right. Yes. So there's, there's always that connection yes. of, um, of handing it down. Yeah. 
Right. Yes. And when, when Vito did it in Rio, it was with Richard Cragen, who also had done it for many mm -hmm. years. Mm -hmm. Richard Cragen was the director then. He'd done it for many years in Stuttgart too. Okay. Yes. And when I wrote it down, when I worked on the master score, um, that was done with, with the cooperation of Marcia Heide and Hans, Heinz Klaus, who were the original. He was not the original. Ray Barra was the original um, in 65. He, he was in the new version in 67. I worked with them too, mm -hmm. so I, I mm -hmm. also got mm -hmm. it directly mm -hmm. from mm -hmm. the horse's mouth, as it were. I'm wondering if any of you have questions. I'm just so fascinated by this whole process. I know some of you will. Let's start right over here. No. The, the question is, do you use video as well? And you are quick to say no. no. Why? Because there's always a mistake in a performance, and then it becomes choreography, and that's, uh, that's, that's no good. You don't know, but I do. <laughs> And also, because it's nice, when they've learned it, if they'd like to look at a video, I'm happy to give them one. Um, and it's nice to look at other people's interpretation, but I don't want anyone to copy anyone else's interpretation. I want them to understand first, before they watch a film or a TV or YouTube. I can't stop them watching YouTube, can I? <laughs> oh, and it's um, out there. Yeah. It's out there, yes. Um, I want them to know what, what is the choreography first, so, because otherwise if you just watch a, another performance, you, you might not exactly know, well that gesture isn't choreography, that's his mm -hmm. or her own. And uh, so they have to, when they know all the choreography, then I'm happy for, for anybody to watch a, a DVD or a video to, to just get another idea even, you know. Mm -hmm. It's not that I'm averse to them, I just can't rely on them. It's, it, it, I, let me the note, yes, repeat the yes. question, sure. Um, the question is, is it just the steps themselves or does it include the patterns throughout the stage? And I yes. think that relates to my earlier question about the fact that there is a huge cast of people who are all doing things. So how does it accom uh, accommodate the, the geometric patterns? Well, again, visually you draw boxes and you put the people in. You just put them in. Where they, where they are standing on the stage. You divide the stage up like the stage is divided up here into eighths, and uh, that's the same in notation, and you put them. You always look from behind, so you can, you can see them when they're on stage right, they're on the right side of the page. When they're on stage left, they're on the, on the left side. When they're at the front, they're near the top, and when they're at the back, they're near the bottom. And uh, boys and girls are differentiated, they're, they're little um, balls, in fact, with tails on that denote the direction. The filled-in balls are the girls, and the empty heads are, of course, the boys. <laughs> Let's go on to another question. <laughs> There's one over here, yeah. That's a nice question. When they were first presented, um, this one in 65 you mentioned, and Romeo and Juliet and Taming of the Shrew in that decade or so, um, 
when they were first presented, were they surprising? Was the choreography surprising to audiences? Interesting word, surprising. I wasn't there, so I was still at school then. Um, 69 was Taming, 61 was Romeo in Stuttgart, although he had done it previously in Italy in 57. Um, I imagine that they were surprising in that they were something that moved the audience because that's what I read about happened when the Huroc people came and saw the company and wanted to take them to New York. So I imagine it was just not that it was unusual like um, a modern choreography would be, but that it was surprisingly good, moving and interesting that but that's all I would know I wasn't I don't I can't say any more than that I can tell you that the the famous critic in Germany said it wasn't very good and and when he redid it in 67 the same critic wrote that um, he's redone it but it's not much improved so it just goes to just show. goes to show <laughs> and he never reneged on that isn't that funny um, there was another question here hi most of the dancers that have danced this in these 30 years, and the reason I ask is because I have a video of Sabina Alleman right. in this uh, yes. ballet yes. with the National Ballet of Canada, I believe. You remember her? Very well, because she was the first one. Well, she was the first one that out when I went out to work with Reed. What we're, we're talking about here is, first of all, asking Jane if she remembers different productions and casts and dancers, and then um, alluding to Sabina Alleman, who danced in San Francisco for a number of years, many, many years, as one of our beloved principal dancers, <clears throat> and um, she created Tatiana in Canada. Yes. So the first... She was the first cast of Tatiana when we did it in Canada, mm -hmm. and um, she... she made the film, the, t the film for TV. And then I think soon after she came here, didn't she? I think so. Yeah, she stayed here. She was beautiful. And I do remember her, but I've reached the age now where I remember things 30 years ago much clearer than last week. So. <laughs> um, was there another hand? Oh, a couple back here, yes. Choreology as a science, is that ancient or is it recent? It's very recent. The, the actual word was made up by um, Mr. Rudolf Benish when he created the notation. He was an artist and he did it for his wife, who was a dancer and teacher in the Sadler's Wells Royal Ballet in the 50s. And he copyrighted it in 1955. And he said it means, ology means the study of and choreo is music. Uh, uh, movement. He never called it a dance notation, it's a movement notation. You actually could write down a football match if you were so inclined. <laughs> and you can, you can write down, they use it in the medical profession as well, to write down um, gait, people who have, in physiotherapy. I don't know much about that either. It isn't a, a, a ballet notation. 
to write ballet down, you, um, you kind of adapt it. Uh, you, you make certain things redundant to record. For example, in classical ballet, we turn out, so you never have to write down that the legs are turned out. You only write down if they're turned in. Feet are stretched, you don't, don't, unless they're flexed, you don't write that. Within the context of ballet, it can be adapted to anything like that, but it is most, mostly used in ballet, in dance. I would venture a guess that one of the reasons why it is used very widely in Europe, we understand it's used a little less widely in the States, I'm not quite, I think it's because we're just in such a hurry, um, is that it is so adaptable. Um, there have been, over the centuries, everybody's tried a notation system, and they have not been no. largely successful. This one appears to be. Yes, I think it is, and I think that the reason it's not more widely used is that it's a financial constraint that, um, you know, if you're going to employ a choreologist, that's one less dancer. You know, and if you want to employ a choreologist to write down what you're creating, that person can't do anything else. Can't, can't be anything else in the company as well. Believe me, it is a full-time job. It's quite lengthy. It's a lengthy process. It's worth it, but it's, it takes a long time. Um, yes. The question is, ooh, this is a good one. Do choreographers record their own works down on paper without learning your method. Um, yes, learning our method would be too time consuming for a choreographer, I think. They also have their own ways of jotting things down and working things out. But they don't, they don't do it through, I wouldn't, I would venture to say that the kind of person who is a choreographer isn't the kind of person that can be a choreologist. It requires too much um, mental um, discipline, I think. I think that choreographers wouldn't have that. They want to get up and dance, and sh they want to see what dancers can do with the ideas that are in that, their head. They're not there to sit down and actually write it down. I think um, many choreographers do employ a choreologist. Yes. And, and does choreology happen during the process of choreography? Or does it always happen after the fact? No, it, it, the, the ideal is that you're sitting there while he's creating and you're writing down everything. We get through a lot of rubbers. I mean, erasers. What, what you... Yes, we call them erasers, yes. Because stuff gets thrown out. You spend ages writing something down out the window, changed his mind. That's why I can imagine it would be. And then he forgets, and then you, he's got to sh you've got to show him, what, what did I do yesterday? What was that? And sometimes they ask you to help them with the counting as well. It's classical music. How would you count that? Kenneth used to do that. Yes. We have time for one more question. I'll take yours there. Um, he asked the question I was going to throw as a question if nobody else asked it. Um, has it been digitized? Is it possible to uh, convert it to computer keyboard use? Absolutely it is. Don't ask me how, but they do it. 
and there's a whole program that, that they are teaching new students now to do it on computer. Everything can be, it's taken many years, but about 20 years, I think, but they've done it now. And I don't have it, so. <laughs> I but be. I know people who use it, and it, it looks gorgeous, of course. All my scores are handwritten. I, I would have been so surprised if it hadn't been, yeah. but I'm so glad you asked that. Um, this has been delightful, and I'm afraid it's time for us to be wrapping up. I want to uh, say that I've enjoyed this conversation with Jane Bourne, choreologist of the ballets of John Cranko, who choreographed the work we will see this evening, Eugene or, uh, Onyegin, yeah. based on the story, Eugene Onyegin. Um, I know this is going to be a very exciting week. It's exciting for the dancers. It will be exciting for audience. I know many of you will see more than one performance. Um, I also encourage you to go to the website, sfballet.org, check out our programming through the Center for Dance Education, um, the Points of View program next Wednesday. Uh, over this weekend, there might still be a few spaces to enjoy some lectures given by the Center for Dance Education's visiting scholar, Tim Scholl. Um, there's just so much happening, you have to go to the website or read your program really carefully to find out what it all is. And we are now into the second half of the season. Jane, thank you so thank you. very much. This has been delightful. Enjoy the program. Glad you enjoyed it.